back. Pulls up for three. Boom! Knocks it down. Curry from the corner at three. Puts it in. For overtime. Makes it. Garrett. One welcome for me, Mark Woods, the latest edition of the MVP cast brought to you with our very lovely sponsors and Total Environmental Compliance. Give them a check out online at tcompliance.co.uk. And if you like this podcast, of course, please hit the subscribe button and then you won't miss any episodes whatsoever. And of course, we've also launched our new MVP mail newsletter. You're going to get it on a regular basis. Lots of exclusive content. Sign up for that at mvp247.com. Now, our guest this time out is one of the best guards in all of the Women's British Basketball League. She is a hot property playing for the Sons of Seven Oaks and also a GB International, Rennie Bush. Welcome to the MVP cast. Hi, Mark. Thanks for having me. Um, interesting times. I think that's probably an understatement. Of course, you guys were due to play in the WBBL Cup final against Leicester last weekend. Then you decided not to play. And, you know, as we understand, you're you know, like like other teams in the league at the moment, anxiety surrounding COVID and testing and traveling during all of this. But, you know, take us a little bit inside. Why is it collectively you, you made the decision to, you know, to effectively to pause the season? Um, the decision, I mean, it all came really after the holidays when we we're planning to reassemble and just the news and everything we were hearing about the state of the country, the state of the hospitals, uh, the new strain and, you know, the reality of us um, coming back from, you know, being with our families or our other bubbles over the holidays kind of just really hit. Um, yeah, and uh, we just kind of felt we had to be realistic and felt that a pause was just the safest thing for us given how many of us have other day jobs, how many of us have vulnerable or older family members we live with, uh, just felt like the right thing given our bubble capacity you know how safe we could make it for us was there any i guess pause and on taking that view because you were already in a cup final and the opportunity that presents oh absolutely and one of the things we were considering at first was could we just plan to only play the cup final and do that as safely as possible and maybe pay for testing for that one game or you know, does that go against everything we've just said and pausing all of our league games? So it was absolutely a consideration given you know, the sky coverage and you know it's a big game for us, something we earned. You know, the finals are always special, so it's definitely a consideration we took into account. I mean, as we're recording this, obviously the state of that and the future of that cup final is up for grabs. It was Nottingham were originally drafted in, then Leicester had to pull out. They thought we were bringing Cardiff in. So we're not really sure actually who's technically in the cup final anymore and it, you know the, the plan is to play it at some point there is naturally some sympathy that you guys should be reinstated if that's played i know there is some thought about when you guys might play again i mean are you hoping that if this game proceeds that seven oaks will get their place in it definitely <laughs> i was gonna say yeah i would hope that we'd be able to play the two finalists that we you know originally won to get there i think it'd be a great game but we'll we'll see what happens i think the league meeting is as we're recording this so we'll see i mean it's six weeks is a 
is a hefty time to say you know that's that's our target and obviously we don't know how sport's going to be in five weeks time six weeks time at the moment never mind almost tomorrow but do you think i mean let's get a player perspective on this with so many games postponed do you realistically sense this league season will ever be completed i feel like it could be completed but it will definitely be different or you know, I think the postponements are kind of inevitable, and that's something we all know. Or, and the teams that are playing know, the teams that aren't playing know. Um, <clears throat> and it'll just look a little different than the seasons have in the past. I think we'll just do our best, but it, it will definitely be disrupted, I think. I mean, you talked about the, the cup final and this, the showcase that would have been for Sky. I mean, there's been justification, I guess, with the BBL. To play the season because there's finances involved, whether it's media rights, whether it's you know getting on Sky in itself is a is a is, a, is an asset. The WL doesn't necessarily have that financial imperative apart from a little bit of rescue funding from the government. But how important do you think it was to try and play this season in the WBBL? In terms of money, in terms like... of just exposure and for the health of the game. Mm-hmm. It's definitely different because, I mean, each club, even within the WBBL, is a bit different in how they operate. You know, some are tied to universities, some are tied to other pro teams like the Lions, and kind of we're kind of our own standalone professional team. So I think the financial incentive for like, for for us was not really there because there's not really the chance to make revenue. I think for the BBL, there's a lot more money that comes in through you know, ticket sales and that kind of fan environment. So for them, it might have been more of an incentive or teams that already had everything funded uh, might have had incentive to you know, spend that money. They've already agreed to play those player salaries for the full year. You might as well play. Um, for us, it wasn't there so much. Um, I think in terms of exposure, I think a point that I think Len made was that, you know, there's not that many sports going on at the moment. So if we can be out there and getting in front of people um, being on Sky and it's not just a pre-recorded game, you know, it's actually live, would be a benefit for us. So, you know, I feel like there's a bit of a bit of both. With with this journey that you've been on, let's let's kind of circle back a bit to the to the very start of this. You're born in New York, and you moved to the UK when you were I think five or six, and two American yep. parents. Explain this journey. Explain the start of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and how it got into basketball. In fact, yeah, so we coming to this came, country. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my uh, my dad was a teacher and a basketball coach at a high school in Queens, New York, and my mom was a very successful investment banker, and she got an opportunity to transfer from New York to London, and her and my dad just said, "Okay, let's do it." And I think me and my two sisters. I'm the middle one of uh, two other sisters. Um, we were young enough that I think they thought the move wouldn't be too disruptive, so we came, and yeah, I went to an English English school here. I was playing netball, hockey, and rounders, um, <laughs> and um, yeah, I think it was only when my older sister started to play basketball at school. She went to an American school, uh, the first of us, because she was the oldest, and my dad thought, you know, if she's going to play. I'm going to coach her because I'll be as good as anyone out there. So we volunteered and it kind of started from there, him doing it with us. And then obviously he's now taking it to a whole nother level 
he was coaching when all three of us were gone in the States. Um, yeah, he just kind of took to basketball. It was always my favorite thing. And then I decided when I was about 13 that that was the most important thing to me and went from there. Just school basketball, school and basketball. So what's the, what's the identity like? Because obviously you grew up most of your life here, you know, British international, but went to college in the US, American parents. You've got some Chinese heritage, obviously, on your mum's side as well. So is, is it, are you the archetypal child of the world? Yeah, I think, it, is there the term is like third culture kid or something like that? <laughs> but yeah, I've always felt, like when I'm here, I feel very American, but then when I'm in America, I feel very English and, you know, things seem strange, but then I have the accent. So makes me fit in more there, yeah. And our Chinese heritage too is something when I was younger, I never thought about and I was not interested in at all, but now it's something that I'm much more interested in and in learning Mandarin. So, yeah, when I was younger, I kind of just plowed on and was focused on you know exactly what I was doing. But yeah, definitely, I, I definitely have a big appreciation for the exposure to multiple cultures. And it made my college transition so much easier already have being familiar with America. So obviously the American accent is quite addictive, I suppose is the best way of putting it. I mean, even, even I remember as a child going there for three weeks and coming back speaking like I was from Texas. So at, at which point were did, was your accent very English and did it go back to being American? Because you know, these things can come and go so quickly. When I went to the English school from when I was about five to 13, I had the poshest like Southern English accent. <laughs> and I didn't even realize that I had it until I watched a home video you know, years later. And I went, is that me speaking? Because, you know, you hear your own voice in your head. It sounds nothing like what was coming out. And then I think when I went to an American um, high school before I went to college, it I just totally lost it because all the kids are married. You just morph to fit your environment, especially when you're so young, you just want to fit in subliminally. So and that's stuck yeah, with you since you come back from Penn. Yeah. Now I think I'm pretty stable. I'll just keep this. <laughs> there is, I've heard it's a very plain American accent, like no regional fun. Um, you, you mentioned dad and dad Len is the patriarch of the, the Bush clan patriarch of seven Oaks sons. Um, I mean, how you play from now, obviously, we'll talk about that, but I mean, how influential has he been from start to start to finish or start to presence in making you the player you are? Oh my gosh, so influential. <laughs> I mean, he got me into the game. Um, yeah, just, he was my coach all growing up and my biggest supporter the amount of time we've spent in the car together, going to games, driving me to national team camps, just so much bonding time. And I think he really instilled, I think I'm a pretty disciplined person just from the get go, but he always encouraged me to do more, you know, whether I liked it or not, you know, did you go out and shoot today? And then I hated if I hadn't done something and he'd asked me that. And biggest thing is really, I think he taught me how to shoot, which I, that's what's gotten me this far in my career is um, like those foundational skills. So I really appreciate that. And he's just always been there. He's still here. <laughs> <laughs> Clinging on. Was it, was there never a point like a lot of teenagers where you go, dad wants me to do that. I'm not doing it. Oh yeah. 
Oh yeah. I used to, I guess my rebellious teenager phase, I used to yell at him during games sometimes, but I only remember two instances and I yelled back in the court and then I just immediately got benched. And one time, this was back in the day, we were probably playing a division one game. I want to say in Northampton and we had six players and we were pretty good, but we only had six players and I yelled back and he benched me for the whole quarter. And my teammates were just on court, you know, huffing and puffing, just looking at me. And I was like, I'm so sorry. So yeah, then I think I stopped doing that. But yeah, we definitely had fights and it's so hard to listen to your dad. It's like when your parent teaches you how to drive. And it's so frustrating. <laughs> now it's all love and now it's easier. Well, I mean, I see now that the relationship obviously changes when you grow up a little bit with, you, with your parents, but you know, how, how does that coach player relationship work? Because obviously you've got a very influential role in the team. You know, he's out there you know, deciding the minutes and all that kind of stuff. I mean, do you, do you, are you conscious of it now at all or is it, have you grown so used to it that he can treat you as a player, you treat him as coach until you know, the buzzer finishes? Now I think it's pretty easy and our team, dynamic we have a lot of players who've been with sons for quite a few years and who know len very well like personally and as players player coach relationships so um i think he treats us all with respect and we all get a lot of say so it's i know it's not the usual you know coach player dynamic there's some discussion there but i feel pretty equal to everyone else on the team i think one thing you're making me think of when i was younger though that he always told me is like you've got to work hard enough and earn the respect of your teammates and make it so clear that you're going to get the minutes that you get so that no one can ever question, you know, that uh, favoritism from your parent coach or whatever. So that was always something that we worked hard to do. Like, I, mean, talk, no one I mean, talk about, I mean, obviously he and you have had a very central role in, in building Seven Oaks and at this point in time, probably the best team in the, in the WBBL. What's what's been the fundamentals there in making that club as successful as it's become? Good question. I think uh, I think even though we started as a junior club, I think the women that are in the club, the WBBL team, have a big impact on the culture of the club, um, and all of that, like the way we re like we've always trained. You know, the under 16s would train with the women too. You know, this whole span from like 15 year olds to our professionals, you know, you train together and it creates this culture of the younger players that come up and stick with us, like really want to get better and don't want it to necessarily be easy. Um, and I think that takes a certain character and builds a certain character too. Yeah, it just feels, to me, it always felt like a family um, and we, we all want to get better. We're all serious about basketball. It's not necessarily just for fun uh, and participation. So yeah, really that family atmosphere and just caring about people off the court too, and helping you get to wherever you want to get to with basketball. I mean, your return from from Penn kind of coincided with with the start of you know a, a semi professional league in this country. Now we're we're a few years into it now. I mean, what's your assessment of where the league sits and, and if it's improved things. Oh, it's massively improved. When I left for college, it was still division one. It was basically, I think we had to call, we couldn't call it professional because back at that, in those days, 
if a player played on the same team as a someone who was paid to play, they were classed as professional, which could take away your NCAA eligibility back in the day. So I think that's changed now, but oh, we've come so far and it's only been, you know what, five, maybe five years or so. Mm -hmm. We're in our infancy. If you look at the WNBA, you know, it's been about, I think about 30 years or something like that. Mm -hmm. And then compared to, and look how far they've come and how much further they're gonna go. It just, when you compare it to how long other leagues have been in existence, I think we've come so far so quickly. We're in our infancy still, we have a long way to go. What's the next stage of that evolution for you? I think we'll continue to, you know, attract more professional players. It gets cool to see now how many players who've come up through juniors in England, gone off to play in the States or gone off to play pro somewhere else, um, coming back to play and making it a viable place for that. Um, so attracting more talent. Um, yeah, just becoming a more professional league little by little. And I think we can start to get more media attention, which leads to more funding, which will allow us to not have to have, you know, these other jobs. Like that's something that's very common in the women's game that you don't see so much in the men's game because, you know, you have to live. So I think there's a lot of areas in which we're going to grow. Because it's that, I guess it's that opportunity element of all words. You know, I suppose in recent times, the GB women have outshone GB men. You know, the, the, the women's game has been very buoyant in terms of talent going through. But that equalization of opportunities hasn't been there yet. And it's not, this is not a problem limited to basketball. It's limited to almost every single sport. But, you know, for women's basketball in this country, I mean, given that, you know, that we have, we have talent, we regularly send so many players to, to the US. And it, does it, or how much of a, a gap do you think still has to be closed to to level up, to coin a Boris Johnson phrase, the the men and the women's game in, in the UK? Wow, as you're saying that, you know, like I've all these amazing women's players flashed in my head, flashed in my head. Um, and something that I hear frequently is like, we don't really celebrate their success. Like these women are out there playing in the Euro League the Great Britain women's team and look at the success the team has had. And I think we need to celebrate that more because when you talk about, I guess, like leveling up the game, I feel like in terms of court play, like it's been leveled up. If not, you know, the women have surpassed and it's not a competition either. It's not about that. I think it's just about appreciating uh, what we have and giving visibility to, you know, what's going on in the women's game. I don't know if that answered your question. Yeah, I mean, obviously, there's there's also the issue of representation as well. You know, with mm -hmm. with you know boards and you know senior managers and and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. I mean, is that do you think something that will happen naturally is more players you know have come through and got experience and want to transition into the other side of the sport, or you is is there in a sense a bit more proactivity needed at this point in time? I think naturally having more, like you were saying, naturally, you know, more players going into other roles, administration roles, like PR roles, people who really understand the game and what, what there is to appreciate about it. I think that will help. But like you're saying, it would be kind of more organic and slower. Um, yeah, I, I don't even know exactly what I would prescribe, but I think you know, when people meet us, the professional women's basketball players, when they see us play, 
you can tell it's high quality basketball like we have inspiring stories to tell uh so it's really if people were to take a look and if we can get on bigger platforms i think the interest will be there for sure it's part of the onus and that i mean you know you always talk i mean the one thing the, the bbl i'm being specific about the bbl is very good at selling tickets very good at creating you know events etc i know obviously the bbl and, w, and wbl are almost one and the same in certain senses but you think looking at it as someone who sees a lot of WBBL action but maybe not as ingratiated as you are is that you know there's not that many people coming to games the clubs itself you know can be anonymous in certain parts you know of the country depending on the club do you think I mean you've seen obviously big time college sports and hard bigger business it is and even though women's basketball doesn't get the crowds that men's basketball does get it's still a big game and it's still pushed out there I mean is that something that you know as a player that you think the league as a whole and obviously it's just as good as all of its clubs but it needs to raise the game more in this way way that the WNBA raised the game in saying you know we've we've a product worth coming to here yeah it's difficult for me to compare our situation to college in the US just because the sheer amount of money that mm. the athletic programs have out there uh, like the facilities um, you have a built-in student body base it's just the money it doesn't compare I think that our league yeah I definitely think there's more that we can do but I can really understand why we're at the state that we're in now you know with not that many people coming to our games because our you know, our administration for our clubs is, is tiny. And I know that the league administration is also, you know, collectively tiny. So for there's other things that I think we're focusing on just to, to get by, to survive and be viable. So I definitely think that would be like the next area for us to shift our focus to. And I know at Suns, that's definitely something we're focusing on, you know, better playing venue. And then how do we get people in? How do we gain publicity? Um, yeah. But I think it'll, it'll take a little bit of time. And I think it, if even the BBL has been in existence for decades, you know, we haven't even hit one decade. So I think it'll, it's going to take a little time, but we'll get there. I mean, your dad has talked about the potential for a Seven Oaks Suns arena. I mean, what do you know about where you are at this point in time and how much of a difference do you think that would make? Having an arena? I think it would, I mean, on so many levels. A, it would just give us so much more access to training. Uh, we'd be able to do more with the community. So before the lockdown, we were doing a bunch of sessions for like junior girls, junior boys, um, building them up. So if we could do more of that, have more community coaches and host it there at a central place, we could get more people to come to our games. Uh, I think it would just be huge to have a, you know, an, an area and also to gain sponsors having an arena would be a huge plus it would be so helpful for our situation one of your big interests i know is is this the mental side of 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 the sport and the mental side of of, of winning i guess is probably part of that as well and how how much of that is active in the women's game and how much of it needs to be radically improved Oh, wow. You mean the professional level? Mm. Or... Well, in the UK, I feel like it's, um, again, you know, linked to the money and the resources and everything, and, you know, sports psychology, unless maybe you're on a university campus, it's not, it's something you'd have to go out and 
find help with yourself. Um, but I think just across the board in basketball, the mental side of the game is really gaining more um, like publicity. It's become more like a standard thing that you need if you're going to perform well. And what's coming to mind, I know someone like Ali Grell from Newcastle is, you know, she's in sports psychology and she's building her platform. So I think people are starting to talk about it a lot more. Um, yeah. I mean, you're, you're doing a lot of coaching with, with, you know, younger girls and you, you know, had a, you know, a great introductory spell with, you know, as assistant coach at the, uh, the GB under 16 team. What, what are you trying to instill in them from a psychological mind space level to, I guess, try to make them a better players, but also better people? I think number one for me is confidence like self-confidence, like belief in yourself, like relentless belief in yourself and that you, like, you're worth it. You can, you can do it if you believe you can do it and you have goals, like you're gonna be able to achieve that. So I think to be a voice that's always saying that, especially to young girls and young women, because I, I don't know, it's something that I need in my life and I'm trying to give myself more of too. So that, and just caring at a baseline level, like caring about these young players as people, uh, accepting them as they are, and then past that, I think it depends a little bit on the player. Like I always think back to myself, like I was someone that was so intense to the point that, you know, I'd be in tears after, you know, having two turnovers in a game or, you know, being so ridiculously hard at myself, I would be screaming at myself. So, you know, for players like that, you know, it's about like, how do we tone it down? You know, like basketball has to be fun. Uh, at the end of the day, it is a game, like it should be enjoyable too. So how do we, you know, help you get the best out of yourself but for other people it might be um dealing with nerves so i think there's a lot of ways it can go but you know to enjoy the game and to feel like fulfilled as a person because it's interesting i mean much as i hate comparing the two netball has made a very big deal about obviously what it can do for for women and particularly young girls you know the empowerment aspect gets the confidence building aspect but it's not something basketball really trumpets enough about itself is that ability particularly with young females to to i don't know help them deal with the day-to-day life and and to be more confident assertive people yeah i think absolutely and i think if netball's netball is doing that for young girls that's awesome like one thing i always think is it's not a competition between women's basketball and netball oh it is it so is i think the more (laughs) that we're like there's room for everyone i think you can play both like i played both growing up younger it was fine but i think basketball absolutely does that and one of the best things one of my favorite things i've ever heard one of our young girls say after a session is you know um training is my safe space and i just thought that was so cool because you might feel like you're the you know, a little bit like you don't fit in at school, but you know, here your aggression and you're asking questions and your competitiveness is celebrated. Uh, the more we can do that, the better. I think that's a great point. That's something we should raise more often because it is definitely confidence building. What's your methodology? Because as you, you talked about earlier about your shooting, obviously you're you know, always been a phenomenal shooter. What's the process for you, even at this point of maintaining that, working on it and trying to improve it? You made me think of this um, uh, this this video I watched. My sister went to this uh, point guard college basketball camp in the states, and they um, have like a blog as well. And one of the things they say is that confidence 
is made up of two things. And I believe it's about shooting. It's made up of reps. So how many reps you get up, how much you practice, and then what you say to yourself all day. So that's like the mental side of things. So I think number one for me is like, I'm not a stellar athlete. Like I'm not huge. So the only way I'm going to play is if I do all the little things really well. And if I'm smart and if I, if I can shoot and that takes edit when you're starting, like you don't have to be an athlete to be able to shoot. All you have to do is be able to go out, find a basket or have just have a ball and no basket even and work on your form more than anyone else is going to work on it. So like anyone can be a great shooter. It just takes discipline and, and some instruction to, to get some good form. So reps for sure. And then once you've got that, it's about making sure your self-talk is good, working on that mental game. Cause shooting is also so mental. Like, you know how to put the ball in the basket. It's about what you say to yourself all day. So that's really what I've been working on later in my career. Who do you look at as the, as the role model for that? I mean, there must be players that you think, yeah, I'm gonna, I can copy a bit of that and borrow a little bit of what they have got. Well, I guess I don't really have one role model I look at, but I, when I'm watching basketball games, I always find myself gravitating towards like who I feel like, people who I feel like play my position, which is usually like the shooters who are running off of screens or, um, and you also made me, so there's lots of role models in, every, in each game. And you also made me think of Kobe Bryant, because I always remember this quote, and maybe I'm misquoting, but something along the lines of, you know, oh, I missed five shots in a row. Well, the next one's definitely going in. Like I work too hard for these not to go in. Like I've shot too many shots for this not to go in, for the next one not to go in. So if I've missed this many, then the next one's definitely going in. And I think that's the kind of mentality I want to have, you know, great day, you know, I've made six in a row, not so great day. I've missed six in a row. It's not going to affect the next shot, you know, and another Michael Jordan quote is, you know, why would I think about missing a shot I haven't even taken yet? Mm. So I think a lot of times it's easy to psych yourself out before it's even happened. And I know I've done that to myself. So like, why would I think about missing it if I haven't even taken it yet? So those kinds of confidence building things help me. I mean, you I mean, you talked about you inspiring young, young females, but your family, I mean, slightly, you modestly touched upon your mother, mother's career, but you, you got very impressive role, role models in the females in your own family. Yeah, I feel very fortunate. Um, and I, that's why it's so important for, uh, you know, young women everywhere to see these types of role models. And I didn't realize how lucky I was until I, maybe even now when I'm out in the world as an adult. But growing up, my, my dad was basically staying at home with us and dropped us off at school. And my mom was really busy during the week and I only saw her on the weekends because she was out there working and I knew she was pretty high up in the business world but I didn't know what exactly but for me that was so normalized it was like yeah my mom my mom you know brings home money my mom is a big time executive and it made me I always thought that I could do whatever I wanted I never questioned that there was something that I couldn't do I saw someone who looks like me out there doing it because to say exactly what your mom made us, I mean, she used to be pretty run the US, right? The the European arm of the US investment bank, Morgan Stanley, which most people are part of. That's a it's a big time rule. But you know, again, you know, she's a working mother, three daughters, and your your dad obviously had a lot to to do with making that work. But in a sense, we always we sort of underplay women who are able to pull that trick off. But 
you know, for you when you you look at what she did, you, you might it must it must make you think. Actually, I can cope with anything here. Yeah, it was pretty pretty amazing. But it's um, it's one of those things where like she couldn't have done it any other way. She jokes that you know, had she been home, staying home with us the whole time we were growing up, like we would have driven each other crazy. She would have driven us crazy <laughs> probably. That was what she was compelled to do. So whatever it is for you, you you've got to do it. And it and her and Len were perfect partners, so it worked out worked out great. Still still working out your mom's still still very much successful. Um the jersey behind you is, is your old pen jersey. I mean you I mean obviously you're not yeah. under plate. Your parents were both are Harvard graduates, is that correct? Yeah. So, so I mean, you follow in the footsteps another Ivy League school um, and some up your time at University of Pennsylvania. Looking back, uh, it was amazing, and now it feels like it went incredibly quickly. <laughs> um, but while I was there, it was like a roller coaster in so many ways. You know, it's the first time you're away from home. It's my first time, you know, having a different coach for the whole season. You know, who's not my dad. Uh, there was a lot of ups and downs, and I think mostly with basketball but the biggest thing i learned in college was that like my performance on the basketball court does not determine you know, my value as a human being because i said before you know i was just school basketball sleep repeat and so i thought i am basketball player that's all so i think learning that there's more to me than just that was my biggest learning but it was an awesome experience overall and i would do it all again the same how does how does that shape you as a player when you come back here? Because you know some you know, people find the transition coming back to this country quite you know, quite difficult. You know, obviously you gain the experience of high level competition. You played in the NCAA tournament. I mean, how how now do you lean on, or what do you lean on that you really picked up over there? I think the competitiveness of the U.S. situation is something that's really valuable because when you're in England especially in the junior programs, like if you're one of the top players, um, you're going to be one of the top players and your team is going to play about 40 minutes and you, you might be messing up, you might be a little sloppy one day and you're still going to play because there's no one behind you that's close to you. Whereas when you get to college, there's going to be at least two, three, maybe four people in your position. So you've got to be really clean, especially in the games and in practice, because if not, like on to the next person because your coach doesn't have time uh, for you to you know work it out unless you're scoring 25 plus points a game so I think the competitiveness and learning to be on I really learned and also ah, there's so many things just like discipline things you know you've got to be on time to six seven a.m lifts um, and then getting to school getting to class getting back um, so many things yeah, learning all, keeping all these plays in your head, just really, it's more along the lines of like how to be a professional player. I mean, in parallel with all this, obviously is your international career near your England under 16, under 18, that great European division B championship at under under 20 level with GB. And then yeah, you, you made your GB debut at senior level back in you know, 2013 against Belarus. I mean, obviously since then there's only been a handful of appearances from that, but how do you, how do you assess that international side of your career and, and, and the, I suppose, the perks that it's brought with it? Oh, my junior international career was so much fun. Those are some of my best basketball memories. 
uh, like the places we got to go to, the teams and players we played, you know, I played with and against. There's just nothing like it. It's the the coolest tournament you could play in, and it was so fun. And, you know, I'm still good friends with a lot of people I played with on those uh, England and GB teams to this day. So like priceless memories, incredibly valuable. When you think about the amount of games you play in such a short span of time and, you know, the highs, the lows, um, it's just like the ultimate basketball experience. And um, you mentioned like the long gap. There was a big gap. So when I uh, went to college and this ties back to your last question. So like, how did that develop me and how did I come back? Is like, I went to college kind of as an all round point guard through college and when I left college, I turned into a spot up shooter and my shooting improved phenomenally, but I came back and I forgot how to dribble. I felt like, <laughs> um, so it was like a whole new learning and it really depends on where you go. But I went to a program that uh, was turning around and was winning. So it was a lot of fun. So um, it's just a balancing for every player. It's gonna be a bit different. Um, where was I going with that? Oh, and so after college, I actually, retired I stopped playing for a year and a half and I got a, a job in Philadelphia as a consultant and I was really miserable and then so I started to play after that but by the end of college like I thought I was burned out at the age of 22 so when I came back and started playing it was really purely for love of the game and almost as a hobby so I had a different job and I was just playing because I loved it and I missed it so I didn't aspired to the senior team and actually that first year I played for Suns I uh, Chema invited me to the long list of camp and I actually said I was like I'm so honored but I I just mentally I don't think I could do it I for, I can't remember how to play point guard you know that's the point I was at maybe like four years ago so and then since then I've just been working diligently trying just because I love the game and I didn't really think about it so when I got the call up I was honored honored but it was cool do you feel i mean obviously you're still very much in that larger squad that the chairman's put together i mean is it still a motivation when you go out and play on a saturday or a, or a sunday to to play well enough that you get that call you get a chance in the score that maybe you get a chance to play again for for gb wow that's so funny i've never ever thought about the games as Yo, Gemma might be watching. <laughs> He's always watching. I'm sure, I'm sure he is, but I never would think about it. Um, never thought about it. I just kind of go day by day and I just work out because I like it and I'm trying to play the best I can for my teammates. And it's funny when I got invited in November, I think at that time, I mean, during the lockdown all summer in the UK, and we hadn't played a game yet until maybe the weekend before the GB camp. So I don't think maybe Chema saw my Instagram post of me in the backyard, but I've just been working <laughs> diligently by myself. So or maybe it was on character. I'm not sure, but no, I've never thought about that. Just try and do my best every, every time out. Well, it's, uh, it's been a lot of doing your best over the years in your career. Um, long may it continue. Hopefully we see the sun's back in action very soon and yourself mm -hmm. back in action. Um, COVID free, of course, um, but continued success in your career on and off the court. And thank you very much for joining the MVP cast, Renee.
Thank you for having me, Mark. My pleasure. It's ours too. That's it for this edition of the MVP Cast, brought to you with our sponsors at Total Environmental Compliance. Give them a follow on Twitter at T Compliance Limited. You can get all our previous editions at MVP247.com, of course, or via your preferred podcast provider. Do subscribe to our MVP mail newsletter, which is now available. Another edition of the MVP Cast coming very, very soon. But for me, Mark Woods, it's bye for now. Thank you.